Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Deaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. It has been a little while since I posted any episodes, and I wanted to take the summer off from podcasting, um, partially for personal reasons of just wanting to spend a little bit more time with my daughter before she uh, goes into preschool, and also because I wanted to think a little bit more about my vision for the podcast going forward and what I wanted it to be about and the message I was trying to get across. And I felt like I was getting really caught up in making sure that I had an episode to release every single week. And that's really important for listenership to make sure that you're having a weekly episode release. Um, And I, I do think that can be important. Um, and I certainly appreciate that, um, podcast that I listen to if they have more episodes that I really love than awesome, but I don't have as much time or tons of time to commit to the podcast right now. So I felt like I was sort of scrambling just to get an episode out. Um, and it wasn't always a reflection of exactly what I wanted the podcast to be. And I, in the meantime, started re-listening to this podcast that I really love called Medicine Stories with Amber Magnolia Hill. And I've asked her to be on this podcast, but I haven't heard back, but I know she's super busy and she's also a mom of two. So anyways, um, she inspired me to have a different approach with my podcast. Um, I'm not sure exactly what her method is in terms of podcast release, but it seems to be somewhat sporadic. Um, Perhaps it's monthly. I'm not really sure. I haven't completely tracked it, but I think I'm going to go with that for my podcast, that if I have an interview or have somebody that I have this burning desire to talk to or have something that I really want to share with all of you about, then I'm going to record an episode and if I don't, then I'm I'm not going to. And I think the podcast will be more potent that way, that each episode will be really be a reflection of what I actually want to share and not just a scrambling to get something together to have it released on a Wednesday. I do have an idea of perhaps releasing podcasts either on the new or full moon. The full moon was what occurred to me first, what I was thinking of first, and I'm not sure exactly why. Um, It's a really magical time. A lot of women ovulate around the full moon. So I thought that would be kind of fun, but I don't know that I necessarily want to 
commit even to doing it monthly. And I hope this isn't coming across as like, the podcast is a burden or it's too hard or I don't want to do hard things. I think it's just that I'm allowing myself myself to take the sort of like feminine approach of space and cultivating things slowly and mindfully. And maybe eventually when I have more space to myself to think and consider and plan and schedule things with other people. And also once I've made more connections with people that are sort of on the wavelength that I'm I'm wanting to be on and I'm hoping I'm moving towards, perhaps it will be more consistent. But I think for right now, I'm giving myself the permission and hoping that all of you will sort of align with what I'm saying here. And if you don't, that's that's fine. You don't have to listen. But yeah, I just wanted to say that before this episode and yeah, just know that I am here. I'm thinking, I'm planning. I have so many ideas and it's just a matter of time and space. So I hope you will keep listening and I am looking forward to posting episodes whenever it works out and whenever it feels right. Welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I'm here today with Cynthia Donovan. She is a registered dietitian in the U.S. with a master's of science in nutrition. Cynthia has been a registered dietitian for over 10 years and is a non-diet dietitian and believes in health at every size. Helping women recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea, which means no period, and find food freedom is a, uh, oh, and finding food freedom is a specialty area of hers. Cynthia was driven to specialize in HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, due to her own struggles with a missing period and infertility. And I have also been working with Cynthia in her um, program for, I guess it's been four months now uh, because I have a missing period. I have hypothalamic amenorrhea, have a long history of it and have been struggling to get my period back um, since my daughter was born over two years ago. So welcome, Cynthia. I'm so happy to have you here today. I am so excited you invited me on here, Holly. I can't wait to chat. Yeah. Usually we're talking about me during our uh, interactions together. I know. I'm in your program, but today we will be talking about you. Um, so I'd love for you to share about your early experiences with menstruating, how old you were when you got your first period, what the conversation was around you amongst friends, family, at school, what you learned about it, anything that you can recall about those earliest years. Absolutely. So I was, I think, considered a late bloomer. Um, many of my friends had gotten their cycles and I'm like, when is mine coming? Where is it? And I think it was 15, 14 or 15 uh, years old, which seems, which seemed late for all my other friends had their cycles, but I also was pretty active. I was a gymnast slash cheerleader slash just a very active um, young girl. So that occurred around that age. And then I think around 16, I was 
put on, or maybe it was sooner. It's hard for me to remember, but it was somewhere in my teens. I was put on birth control because my periods were irregular and painful at times. Um, I had a cyst rupture, cyst rupture at one point. Um, and that's, you know, any period problem, which is totally like now too, it's like, oh, you have period problems, no period, just go on the pill. Uh, so I went on the pill for, oh my gosh, uh, 16, well, and I gotta do the math. I went off the pill right before I got married. So it was, we'll just say 10 plus years on the pill. Um, so in the conversation around it was like, okay. My mom was like, well, if that's what the doctor's suggesting, like the doctor knows best. So just go on the pill. And I had no idea that not only the pill was probably making me a little bit more anxious, um, cause it could have the tendency to do that with people. But, uh, I, at some point in my life, I don't know when I actually lost my period, but didn't know it because I was on the pill because a pill gives you a fake, um, if you want to say synthetically induced, uh, bleed. So, yeah, so that was the, the story around that. And it was cool because, well, I was on the pill because of painful periods. I didn't have to worry about asking my mom for it if I became sexually active, um, um, it, I guess, you know, controlled my acne, but at the same time I was not eating enough. So I probably didn't even have <laughs> hormones to produce pimples. Uh, so it just fit for a while. And then, you know, when I was engaged, I was like, I just have this like gut feeling. And I hear this from so many women is I just had this feeling I was going to have trouble getting pregnant or my period wasn't going to be normal or whatever when I came off the pill. And well, I was right. So that's that's my story within my teen years um, growing up and when I got my period. Yeah. And I, I've talked about this other times on the podcast before, but especially I was a late bloomer. Also, I was 14 when I got my first period and um, was put on the pill at 15. And I had only had maybe like four or five cycles because I was only getting it every three months or so. That's actually totally normal in the early years of menstruating that women, it takes a little time. Like it's normal for it to be a little bit irregular at the beginning. And then it kind of sorts itself out. And it's the same way as your period's you know, kind of going away as you enter into menopause, that there's some irregularity, which is like, has the potential to be normal. And they're just kind of like, okay, here, take the birth control to these, you know, 15, 16 year old girls who never actually have the opportunity for their bodies to figure out their own hormonal rhythms. So yeah, yeah unfortunately, that's kind of how it goes. Did it mm -hmm. alleviate your pain? It did. And yeah. So, and I mean, when I was talking like a ruptured cyst, like I was in the ER getting, you know, Demerol and shots of pain meds because I was just crippled over in pain. So, I mean, I would have, if someone said, well, you know, you could potentially maybe not let your body fall into rhythm or, you know, and, and get this pain, you know, cleared up, I would have said to take the pain away, just take the pain away. Yeah. But I do wish, you know, if there was more knowledge out there that it would have been like, okay, you know, go on the pill to relieve this pain for, you know, two years and then, you know, come off, see what happens. Uh, but honestly, the pain was so bad when I was younger that I don't even know if, I would have come off because I was fearful when I finally did come off 
of, you know, having those pains. And well, I never had a period. Um, now I get regular periods and I don't have those pains anymore. But what I'm likely thinking is that's what my body was just trying to get into sync and rhythm, but also I was active. So, you know, it could have been a little bit of both. That's yeah. That's the other thing too, that I think probably in, in my case, and probably maybe anybody that struggles with HA further down the line, I think probably I was under eating and overactive even at that time too. So that could have been part of the cycle irregularity for both of us, but yeah, the answer was just the pill, not to to help with the underlying issue, which was the under eating and and overactivity. Yeah, yep. and that was how many years ago, Holly? Like, yeah, um, <laughs> for me, yeah, for me, a long time. And yeah, I was actually just on um a call with a uh, client who just uh, joined uh, the coaching program, and she's like, I've been wrestling with doctors for the past five years. And, you know, they can't figure out what's going on with me and they just keep keep putting me on the pill. Um, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this still hasn't changed. Come on. We got to change this. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, I think there's there's more information about it, which we'll talk about some of that stuff as we get a little deeper into your story. But, yeah, it's still unfortunately pretty common to just be put on the pill. Mm. So. Um, you're on the pill for 10 plus years. And then at some point you are actually, yeah. Talk us through however you want to go from there. Cause I think that yeah. maybe your wedding played a role in it and I'm not exactly oh. sure of the timeline. So you can talk us through kind of like what happened and then, you know, coming off the pill and deciding you're ready to conceive. Absolutely. So like I mentioned before, I had this just feeling that I wasn't ready. Like I got engaged and once I got engaged, I was like, well, let me, I've been on the pill for a long time. I just have this weird feeling. And so I'm like, well, no period. So, you know, I go to the doctors and they're like, oh, well, you've been on the pill for 10 years. This is normal, which FYI isn't. Um, and I was like, okay. So I, they said, you know, give it a couple months. And if your period doesn't come back, you can go back on the pill. So that's what I did. And then around that time, my wedding was uh, approaching. And I was like, well, I don't want to have my period for my wedding. So let me, you know, I, I think I went on and off a couple times, which probably really messed with my mental state a bit. Uh, but at the same time of me going on and off after having this, you know, intuition that something was wrong, I also was exercising like a maniac. And I was preparing for my wedding because, well, what do you need to do to prepare for your wedding other than, you know, diet the craziest you have in your life and exercise, you know, as much as you can because you're going to be in this wedding dress and everyone's going to be staring at you. Um, and you better not, you know, be bigger than you should be or whatever. So, you know, and then another part was like, well, these are going to be my pictures. I'm going to be looking at my well wedding album for the next, you know, 50 years, my grandkids, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, these pictures are going to be set in, set in stone forever. Um, I now look back on the pictures and I see a woman that wasn't really um mentally there and what i mean by that is i was just so fixated on worrying about what i was going to look like on my wedding day versus the actual you know process of getting married um so anyways 
I probably hit my all time, like most active fit during my wedding, because again, that's what you're supposed to do, right? And no, you're not. But uh, so I was probably exercising, gosh, maybe up to two hours a day, some days eating very little, probably maybe like 1500 calories. And, you know, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Because again, you know, we're told in our society, our wedding day, like we need to be the most fit and, you know, the the healthiest and look looking our best. And so it really normalized it. And then of course the people, you know, around me were like, oh my gosh, you know, you look so good. You're gonna look so great on your wedding day. And the dress, you know, when I went to go in for my fitting, they're like, well, if you lose any more weight, we're gonna have to take this uh, dress size uh, down a bit. And that, instead of like making me like feel scared about it, I was like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> I'm really beating the system. I'm gonna look even better than I thought. Um, so that definitely, I think if I had to guess, that was probably when my HA, um, really kicked into high gear. I obviously had it before, which I was a total health, quote unquote, health fitness junkie before, cause I was a dietitian, right? So I went to college and in college as a dietitian, they teach you to you know, manage people's weight and that health is indicated by your size, um, which is just so screwed up now that I look back at it. But so I was not only knee deep in what I learned in college, then of course had this disordered, you know, eating because, you know, when I was younger, I saw my mom, um, doing the same, never projected it on me, never was like, oh, Cynthia, you know, you need to lose weight or you need to, uh, whatever. I mean, she let me eat cake for breakfast, pop tarts, like, you know, whatever I wanted, she never questioned. Um, but I also saw her in the background, you know, meticulously count. She would write down her calories, make sure she was exercising, um, would talk about how she feels out of control around food. And so, you know, that just normalized it all for me that I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And not to mention her mom, you know, anytime I would gain weight or lose weight, she'd be like, Cynthia, oh, you look thinner. Oh, Cynthia, I, I could vividly remember when I was going through my fertility treatment. I'll get into that in a second. But she's like, Cynthia, are you pregnant? And I'm like, no, why? And this is when I was trying to get pregnant. Mm. And it was like a, a gut punch. And she's like, you look a little heavier. And I said, oh, okay. I remember I vividly like remember that day going, walking out to my car and just crying about it. Mm. And, and I also remember that was a breaking point for me. Like, why am I letting what I appear on the outside dictate how I feel? And, you know, she, at the time I wasn't thinking, now I can reflect back. She was caught up in her own views on what health and what bodies are supposed to look like. So, you know, it was deeply rooted in me, even you know, I didn't have a choice, right? Those those choices were put into my head. And so then they grew and grew louder as, you know, I was became a teenager and saw other girls doing it and then wedding, you know. So um, when I got married, I was on, I went back on the pill because I was just 
so afraid I would have a period for my wedding, which I wouldn't have, <laughs> totally not. Mm -hmm. And so after my wedding, I was like, well, I'm married now. If I get pregnant, no biggie. Um, but I wasn't ready to have kids yet. Like I didn't want kids yet. I wanted to wait a while before I had kids because I wanted to experience married life, maybe travel, whatever. And so then we were going on our honeymoon in March. We got married in September. We we're going on our honeymoon in March. And I was, I went off the pill after getting married and still no period. And my honeymoon came around and doctors were still like, oh, you know, no big deal. Like when you want to get pregnant, like, let me know. If not, go on the pill. So at that time I went back on the pill because again, I didn't want to have my period for my honeymoon, which I knew, which now I knew I wasn't going to ever have it for my honeymoon. But then after that, I started to get worried. And I'm like, hmm, I know if I don't have a period, I'm probably going to have trouble having a baby, but I'm not ready to have a baby yet. And the only options they're giving me is the pill or let's make a baby. I'm like nobody's giving me answers. And this was way before, if you haven't read the book yet and you're suffering from HA, um, No Period, Now What by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, or also now known as Dr. Nicola Sykes. Um, there was no, no period, now what? There was no resources out there. I was like a needle in a haystack, like trying to figure out my way out of it. And so when I finally just got frustrated, I was like, okay, fine. I'll just like seek a fertility specialist and maybe they'll give me an answer. No answer. They just wanted to get me pregnant. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, we'll start with Clomid and then we'll move up to this. Then we'll move up to that. And then that doesn't work. We can go IVF. I'm like, I don't even want to do this. Like, why don't I have a period? Well, this is common. Sometimes women don't get their periods and, you know, just nothing about the underlying root cause. Like what is going on? So I want to say after, I don't know if it was after that or before that, I sought out a new OBGYN and they're like, oh, you have PCOS. Oh, and, <laughs> and actually, no, I think it was before the fertility thing. It was before me seeking out a fertility doctor to hopefully get answers for my missing period. I was diagnosed with PCOS. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I have PCOS. Can like, you just clarify how they diagnosed you? Oh yes. I'm glad you asked Holly. So they diagnosed me by ultrasound. That is all, which is yeah. a not a significant or a way of like appropriately diagnosing because so, the majority of women have cysts on their ovaries. Well, yes. And here, and if especially you think of it, if you have AJ. Yes. And if you think of it this way, if you are familiar with a woman's cycle, so you have your follicular phase, you have your um, ovulation, you have your luteal phase, and then, you know, your bleeding menstruation. And so what is really happening is like, you're stuck in this follicular phase where they see all these little tiny little quote unquote, cysts, you know, that are, are follicles that can't develop any further because you have no damn hormones. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, I was diagnosed by ultrasound and, you know, at the time I didn't, you know, I trusted the doctor, the doctor's telling me like the doctor knows everything. And so that drove me deeper into my HA because oh, I, I thought, oh my gosh, so deep. I was exercising more. I was restricting carbs even more. I'm like, I can't get diabetes and heart disease and, you know, all these things, which is the way PCOS is treated now, if it truly has, is not what it, it used to be and where you're carb controlling and you're doing all this crazy dieting and exercising, which can actually make PCOS worse. But um, that's what I thought at the time. And so then here I was like trying to 
control and, you know, fixate on everything that went into my body and do the research on PCOS and how, you know, how I'm going to get pregnant and like all the things. And I remember one of my breaking points was me asking one of my doctors, I think I wanted, um, uh, maybe a glucose tolerance test or insulin resistance test or something. And they're like, there's no reason for it. And I'm like, no, I need to have it. And like, I just remember hanging up on, on the call with them and just like, all right, I can't do this anymore. I'm like searching for answers. I'm not getting answers. I still didn't have my period after, you know, dieting and exercising more. And so I think that's when I was like, well, if I can't get answers from these OBs, let me seek out fertility treatment. They couldn't give me any answers. So then finally, uh, one of my two OBs that I had was like, well, let me refer you to a reproductive endocrinologist in Syracuse, which is a little bit away from where I live, about an hour away. And I was like, finally, a freaking referral. Like before it was just like pregnant or pill. And so um, I, I think I ended up doing one round of Clomid too, just cause I'm like, I just felt so hopeless. Like I had no answer. So I went to the reproductive endocrinologist. This was probably now we're into year four of being married. So this is a course of like four years where I was up, down, all around getting answers, no answers. And so um, he was like, oh, He's like, you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA. I'm just going to use HA for short. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no, no way. I don't have that. I am, I don't have an eating disorder, even though I did have disordered eating. My BMI is healthy. I am not losing any weight. So therefore I must be eating enough, which is a total crock of, you know what? Um, and so no, no. He's like, you need to eat a little bit more and exercise less. And I'm like, but no, eating healthy and exercising, that's good for you. Like, no, you, you have it twisted. So it's almost like I was searching for all these answers, finally getting the answer that I wanted. But I'm like, mm, not really the answer I wanted because I was so deeply rooted in my exercise and my healthy behaviors, which weren't healthy at all that I was not willing right away to give that up. So it took some time. And so um, that's kind of where I, I left it, finally getting that appropriate diagnosis. And so then I decided, of course, to research it. And I found this Facebook group that there was maybe like 12 to 14 women. Um, and Dr. Rinaldi, Dr. Sykes was one of the women in it. And again, this was before the No Period Now What book. And, um, and then there was other women going through it, like talking about, it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one, like this is really a thing. And it was just so, you know, it just blew my mind because what I learned in college in my medical nutrition therapy was that you can only have HA if you were a female athlete triad, um, you were anorexic or had a BMI of less than whatever, and I didn't fit any of this. So it was really hard for a science-based person to take advice when I didn't see any like, you know, hardcore data out there that this really is a thing. And so when I saw these other girls, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is a thing. And then I decided, all right, I got to do this. I'm getting older. I want to have kids. Um, and 
I still wasn't trusting the process at first. I'm like, no, like I, there's not enough data out there. There's not enough evidence that this truly works. And so um, I was actually on uh, Lisa Hendrickson's Jack, uh, her Fertility Friday podcast, I think it was maybe a year ago. And um, I was like, well, then finally, as I'm telling my story, I'm like, I got impatient. She's like, Cynthia, you did not get impatient. You were struggling with this for years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I was like, you know what? Let me reframe that. I did not get impatient. I was just at the point of after five years of almost being married, I'm like, okay, I want to have kids because what if, what if my period doesn't come back? And what if fertility treatment doesn't work? Because fertility treatment isn't just like a, you know, solid, it's definitely going to happen. You're going to have a baby. So I decided to um, pursue the fertility route because I wasn't sure how long it would take, if it would ever happen. And I was really fearful that I might never be a mom. And, you know, and at that time, all of my friends were getting pregnant around me and it was like a gut punch every time I heard someone got pregnant. And so then I decided to seek fertility treatment and he said, you know, Clomid isn't going to work on you because of HA. We need to go right to injectables. And so, which was scary, but at the same time, I was like, all right, you know, I'm excited. I'm ready to have a baby. Well, and, before you go on, yeah. did this was the same endocrinologist that diagnosed you? Yes. And yes. was he like, okay, he knew you need to eat more and exercise yep. less. And he was like, well, if you're not going to do that, then we're going to go to injectables. So he was, he didn't say go and get your period back normally. You can conceive normally. Got like, it. Okay. If you, if you give it enough time, he was just like, eat more, exercise less. And to hear that from someone is, and Holly, I'm sure you can relate. It's like, huh? How? Like, where do I start? What yeah. do I do? How do I yeah. do it? What if this, what if I gain this much weight? What if you, what are people going to think, you know, all the things. And so, you know, I started to, you know, eat more and, and rest more during the process, but I was still an anxious ball of mess because I was under fueling still, I was still doing some type of exercise. And so, when I sought the fertility treatment out, I think it was three, I think on my third round, it finally took. Mm. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts was around that third time. I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm letting go. Like I'm letting go of this control. I'm letting go and I'm going to focus on myself, healing myself from the inside out versus always looking for something to fix me. Um, and so I feel like when I finally let go, um, it finally worked and I was pregnant. And the second, I think it was after the second round, um, I actually, my ovaries were hyperstimulated. I was out of work for almost like three weeks because I could have ruptured a cyst. So, and during the time of fertility treatment, there was no freaking walk in the park, like tons of lab work, tons of ultrasounds, traveling an hour away to doctor's appointments, um, missing work and just, the hormone effect of it all. And I, you know, gained a bunch of weight from the medications too. So it was like, you know, me dealing with the body image stuff at the same time. It was, it was a lot. Um, but I, like I said, I truly believe when I let go of my restriction fully, my exercise fully, and just started to like live my life for me versus like live my life for changing my body that's when it happens. So, you know, I'm a proven example that fertility treatment is not foolproof um, and that you still need to work on that underlying reason. So, yeah, so I conceived 
Oh, when did I find out? Well, anyways, I had a baby in August of 2016, a little boy. I still remember the day that the nurse was like, um, you probably already know this, but you're pregnant. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a baby. Um, and I then went into like panic mode. I'm like, what if after all this? Because I said to my myself and my husband, I was like, after this, I, I need to take a break from this fertility thing because it's just mentally and physically, it's just a lot. And I wonder if I did take that break, if I would have gotten my period back naturally. Actually, I know I would have. I don't know when it would have happened, but um, I think my body obviously was in a ready place to conceive a child if I was able to conceive with fertility treatment. Mm-hmm. So uh, 2016, I delivered a healthy, beautiful little baby boy that was, was he over eight pounds, almost eight pounds um, naturally and um, with meds because at the time there was, you know, I hear all about all this talk about like more natural births now, which makes me so intrigued. Um, but yep, I had him and during my pregnancy, cause I know this was a question, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we gain weight, right? We gain weight during pregnancy. We're supposed to. And for me, I think at that point I had given up on controlling my body because I was just so exhausted for doing it for so many years. And then I started to get little bits and pieces of golden nuggets of how much more life is free without worrying about what I look like. So my body image during pregnancy was absolutely fine. But I also too think the way I gained weight as a pregnant person was like belly only. And I'm not going to lie if I didn't feel a little bit, um, I don't want to say motivated by that, but like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but like, I, I, I thrived off of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at Cynthia. You can't even tell she's pregnant, you know, only if you look at her belly. So, you know, with my second pregnancy, that was like, I was thinking like, who cares as long as I'm growing a healthy baby, like, and I'm okay. Like, stop commenting on my body. But, um, and I'll tell you about the second pregnancy in a minute, but so it wasn't too bad. I ate what I wanted. I really got into intuitive eating, listening to my body. And at that point when you're pregnant, a lot of times it's like, you got to give up that control as well, because if baby doesn't want salad and vegetables, which I, I think I didn't want any of those for a long time Mm -hmm. during pregnancy, you're not you know, you're not going to eat it unless you want to make yourself sick. And that's no fun. Um, so yeah, so that was baby number one and I breastfed him, which was, oh my gosh, the, one of the hardest things next to having a newborn. Um, yeah. Tell us more about oh. that. Like what was specifically challenging about it? Oh my gosh. So, I mean, <laughs> I little, <laughs> and I'm sure you can relate Holly. Like I didn't know like what, like I was so in this honeymoon phase of being pregnant that I had no idea like what was about to hit me. And I think too, I had a lot of postpartum anxiety, like really bad postpartum anxiety um, because I was sleep deprived, you know, from having a newborn. I was learning this breastfeeding thing and whatever the hell my hormones were doing, like made me just an anxious, crazy woman. And so breastfeeding, I happened to be it and learn about it until later on, but I happened to be an overproducer. Mm. And so I didn't know how the whole breastfeeding thing worked with like supply and demand. And here I'm like, oh, look at 
I'm pumping extra, you know? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, yeah. I learned my lesson the hard way. So I don't think I ever ended up with mastitis, but I was borderline, like, close each time. But it was great. Like, my hunger was even stronger than it was during um, pregnancy, and it just felt so nice to be able to just eat when I was hungry. Um, and I even remember at times I got so hungry that, you know, I was running an errand and my husband or whoever was home with a baby. And then I would come home and I would be feeding the baby and, um, I would have my husband or someone feed me at the same time. (laughs) Like literally I'm like, you need to feed me. Like I, I have no hands right now. Um, but then I learned how to eat and nurse at the same time, uh, later on. But Um, that wasn't bad. I didn't struggle with that, um, at all, but I I do wonder though, if I had gained weight, um, during that postpartum period with like eating more because of nursing, it's not everyone just like, you know, melts off, uh, body fat. I, I definitely was one of them. Um, and of course, you know, I get the compliment, oh my gosh, you just had a baby. You look so good. Uh And, you know, with, with my first one, I was like, ooh, you know, with my second one, by that time, I kind of was way farther in my journey that I was like, stop commenting on my body. Like, are you worried about me? What about my mental health? Because I suffered with postpartum anxiety again um, <clears throat> with my second. So I nursed him. Oh, gosh, I nursed him until I was pregnant with my second baby. Um, not purposely. And what I mean by that, so I got my period back about 12, 13 months postpartum. I was at the time, I think it was maybe nursing once or twice a day. Um, and I was questioning, like, should I give up nursing, you know, sooner? Because what if my period doesn't come back, you know? Um, and I'm like, no, I loved, I wholeheartedly, after I got through the difficult phase of nursing, um, and getting my supply under control, I absolutely loved it. Mm. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, and then I'm like, no, I'm like, you love nursing. Like, no, you're not going to give it up. Your period's going to come back when it's supposed to come back and stop worrying about it. So it did come back about 12, 13 months postpartum. And I had three cycles and then I got pregnant by the oops method. Um, yeah. I'm familiar with that method also. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and it's crazy because before I got pregnant with my first, I'm like, oh, those people who can get pregnant by not even doing anything at all. Like, you know, I was very, and then there I was, you know, uh, be careful what you wish for. Um, Well, and I, one of the things uh, Lisa talks about a lot who has the Fertility Friday podcast is that getting pregnant, like going through pregnancy and birth does sometimes have the effect of kind of like, like a reset. Yeah, exactly. And, Mm -hmm. and it is more likely for people that struggled to get pregnant initially to kind of have one of these more organic, but I think that probably part of it is just that you had so much more freedom around food too. Yeah. So absolutely. I was eating freely, eating whatever I wanted. So, and I wasn't back to exercise, like I exercised some, but it wasn't like routine um, and stuff like that, which was so nice because if I had to, if I got pregnant when I initially wanted to get pregnant with my fixation on exercise, my body and eating, I would have not nearly enjoyed my time with my child as, as much as I did. Um, so I, I'm grateful for the crap I went through to be able to enjoy it more. And plus like 
holy crap, I was hardly sleeping for the first, you know, four or five months of the baby. And then I got him sleeping well. Um, so, you know, that was, that was helpful. So I got pregnant, I think it was December and I was due in September of 2018. So they were about, uh, two years apart, two years in a month. Um, and through my second pregnancy, um, I nursed probably for like three, three to four months. And then I was like, I need a break. Mama needs a break <laughs> because I'm going to do this again soon. And I need a break. So, um, and luckily my little guy weaned, um, you know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a bad, it just kind of happened. So, which mm -hmm. was nice. Uh, cause I was attached to it. He was attached to it. So then with my second, um, had in September again, ate whatever I wanted, you know, exercise as needed. I think I was a little bit less like, you know, when people commented on my body that I'm like, why don't you ask me about like how I'm doing or like, do you actually yeah. like say that out loud to them? So I, to some people like, uh, you know, if someone passing that I hadn't seen in a while, they're like, oh my gosh, it looks so good. I'd be like, okay, thank you. But like, if it was my mom or my mother-in-law, I'd be like, it's, it's not about what I look like. It's about what's happening with this baby. Um, so it depends who it was, you know? And you would you, would you say that most of the time it was complimentary of a smaller figure rather oh, yeah. than saying like, oh, you gained weight when you were doing that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. 100%, 100%. And so, but by the second pregnancy, I was like, no, like we need to stop with this weight shit. Like, because not only doesn't happen before you're pregnant, it happens during pregnancy and then it happens postpartum. Like we can't catch a break. And so, you know, I, I think that was, you know, something where I spoke up a little bit more freely about because I was a little bit more, um, invested in the fact that, you, your your health isn't indicated by your the size of you, especially if you're small. So and and then when was it? I'm trying to think during that time. So I had him, and I was I can't remember when I fully fledged started my business. I think I was seeing some HA um, clients, you know, intermittently throughout my pregnancies, or maybe it was my second pregnancy. It's so hard to mom brain right? Mm -hmm. Pregnancy brain, the mom brain. So I think it was my second pregnancy where I started to do a little bit of work in this, this field as a dietitian. Um, and you know, I, I just felt so much more strongly about all of my views and everything I went through, uh, because I didn't want to see any other woman like myself struggle. Um, and what I mean by that is just struggle for answers with their HA, struggle with their body, struggle with food, that there is so much more to life than worrying about, you know, what we appear on the, the outside, which again is easier said than done. You mm -hmm. know, I didn't just wake up one day and be like, oh, life is so much more than what I look like. Okay, I'm good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was a process, you know. I went on a couple of yoga retreats, uh, picked up meditation, um, started reading books to help me with my perfectionism. Um, so I, I did a lot of inner, you know, work as well on the side, um, on top of, you know, eating enough and resting enough, which I think is integral in the, in a full fledged HA recovery. And so after my second baby, I got my cycle back again, 12, I think it was like around 12, 13 months postpartum. Um, and I nursed him to, I think about 18 or 20, 20 months. So, yeah, I think I did everything in. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you, well, actually, maybe before I ask you this question, I'll ask you this when we talk about your business a little bit more, but if there's anything you'd like to share about motherhood, how it's changed you or what you find most rewarding or most challenging, you can share about all of those things or just one or whatever you like. So that's a great question because Wow, I struggled in the beginning with the transition. Um, not only did I have postpartum anxiety, I just I remember feeling a little bit detached to my my newborn. Like I'm a wreck. I just went through almost two days of labor, two days of no sleep. Like I gotta take this thing home and take care of it. Um I really think motherhood showed me that I could do real hard shit and be okay. Um, you know, staying up all night to nurse the baby, learning breastfeeding, um, you know, being the sole feeder of the baby. Um, and then also giving up control when I needed to, because there, <laughs> I was a control freak prior to motherhood, um, which I also think helped me more and more on my journey because you had to give up that control because especially in the beginning, newborns and little babies are so freaking unpredictable. Toddlers are even un un unpredictable. Um, but it really helped me deal a little bit more with the loss of control that I had um, and the unpredictability because I was always a planner. Like, okay, what time are we going out? Okay, we're going out at eight. Okay, we need to leave at 745. You know, I was just a planner to the T. I could never be present. And so I think motherhood helped me be a little bit more present, um, helped me realize like I can do hard things and be okay. And oh my gosh, the love. Like I have never felt love like I have as a motherhood. There's no way to describe that love. It is indescribable. Um, but I wake up every day, you know, excited to be a mom. Yeah, is it hard work? But I think the benefits outweigh the the work, especially when you get, oh my gosh, mama, I love you so much. You're my best oh. friend. Um, my boys are five and three, going to be six and four soon, which is just blows my mind. I'm like, how did that go by so quickly? Um, but it is, you know, it's changed me for the better. And um, each day is definitely a learning process because I know the kids are young now. I have a neighbor that has like a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. I'm like, oh my gosh, I see my future. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Cynthia, bring it back here. You're in the present. Enjoy what's going on right now with your boys. Um, but yeah, it's definitely helped me deal with the, um, you know, the control issue and the unpredictability um, of, of things. Yeah, yeah. I can really relate to that a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's It's like we have no control, but it's also helped me too. Cause with my first, I was like, oh my gosh, he's not sleeping. And this has screwed my whole day up. And now, you know, with my second, I think it was like, okay, we know this tune. Like you, there's nothing you can do at this point. You've already been through it once. Like just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's another thing. It's helped me go with the flow um, a lot more. Um, but also too, I still have my structure. You know, I don't just let my kids have a free for all. They have pretty, I don't want to say strict bedtimes, but sort of strict bedtimes because I want to not only preserve their sleep, which is so important for their, their health and growth, but also for my mental health and getting the time that I need alone. 
Mm -hmm. um, as well. So I do have a little bit of structure in that, but I'm also flexible with that. So if there's something going on, we stay up a little bit later, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love for you to share at this point about your business a little bit. Um, so yeah, I kind of, what I wanted to ask you about before was like the clientele that you work with. Part of the reason I'm asking this is because I think some of the time people can have, like they can get a bleed, whether it's from being on birth control for a really long time or having anovulatory cycles. Would you say that most of the people that come to you are like completely not having a period at all? I would say uh, nine out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. The majority. Um, and I do though. So I have two, uh, coaching programs. One is for women that pretty much like have no period. And then the other program is for women that have had a cycle, whether it's ovulatory or anovulatory. Um, but I also make sure that they're, you know, I assess them in the beginning to make sure that, you know, if they still need to work on the, you know, eating enough and resting enough, because let's face it, some women, despite their eating behaviors and whatever, like they can still ovulate randomly um, and they can still get bleeds randomly. So, you know, my hope is that, you know, by joining a coaching program is I'm going to help you not only get a period, but a healthy ovulatory cycle and have that healthy ovulatory cycle be coming back each month, month, unless, you know, you're trying to get pregnant or you're really close to menopause, which that menopause thing isn't usually a case unless a doctor's like, oh my gosh, you're premenopausal. Um, when they're like 36 years old, I'm like, yeah, no. Um, no. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's my hope is to really work on the behaviors that led us to the missing slash, you know, a sporadic, irregular period uh, so that you can get it and keep it for life. Yeah. The reason I ask is because I've had that experience a lot in my practice and some of it was many years ago before I knew as much as I do now. So maybe I would have approached things differently, but where I, it's so clear to me that someone is not nourishing themselves enough or, and, or is, has this like addiction to exercise some form of exercise and they're still getting a regular like bleed, but I've always been kind of like, eh, is it though? Like mm -hmm. I, and now with all of the fertility awareness knowledge that I have, I would, I would know how to guide them, but not everybody wants to do that, you know, but from a dietitian perspective, it's like, you could just look at, if somebody sends you a food log, you could maybe just look at it and be like, oh, well, this is way under what you would probably need to, you know, sustain a healthy period. So absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, maybe tell us just the name of your business, your website, and then where people can find you on social media, wherever you're most active. Absolutely. So the name of my coaching programs are Eat to Regain Your Period and then Eat to Maintain Your Period, which I call the Period Society. And <clears throat> I am known as the period nutritionist or period dot nutritionist. That is my hashtag on Instagram, Facebook, and I believe TikTok. Um, you'll find me mostly on Instagram, um, but I am starting to become a little bit more on TikTok because 
There's so many people there and so many people don't know <clears throat> about this issue. And, you know, I love what I do and helping all of my clients, but I also, uh, a big part of me, I want to spread this awareness so that there is nobody out there struggling uh, the way I did struggle for so many years with um, medical professionals. So bringing awareness um, and not only helping individuals and groups, um, really is near and dear to my heart. So, um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Also, uh, my website, period nutritionist.com. And was that all the, the questions? Well, podcast. Oh yes. I have a podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you for reminding me that it's new. It's new. I just, um, I just launched my podcast May 19th, I think it was. So I think there's only a handful of episodes out. But yes, my podcast is called The Period Recovery Podcast. So you can also find me there. And thank you again, Holly, for reminding me of that. Yeah, no, I've listened to all the episodes so far. I'm I'm always grateful to hear other people's stories and just learn more about it, just to kind of like keep myself accountable to doing what I know is is the best for my body. Um, if one last question, if there are some resources that you could most highly recommend for somebody that wants to learn more about this situation, we mentioned it just kind of as an aside, the, the Bible of HA, of course. Um, but so if you could just mention that again, and then also any other books that you, or whatever resources, books, websites. Yeah. So um, No Period Now What by Dr. Uh, Nicola Rinaldi, um, but I think as she updates her her books, uh, she'll probably be putting Dr. Nicola Sykes on there, but that is like the period, yeah, the period recovery Bible. Mm-hmm. There's everything in there. I wish that was around for me. So it's a great place to start. Um, and Nicola also has resources on her website, No Period Now What dot com, I believe it is, um, that you can give to your doctor as well, like little fact sheets uh, about like, no, dude, I don't have PCOS, I have AJ. Uh, so there's that. And also too, if you guys are like, you know what, I know what I have, I know I have AJ, you're looking for more help in the nutrition department. Um, that's where I come in. If you go to my website, you can sign up for a freebie. We can also, Holly, I'll give you um, some links to put in the show notes uh, for some freebies, tips on eating more. Um, and also, you know, you can go to my website and find a, a ton of information, podcasts. Um, and also I would say a good book to um, have in like the, like the non-dieting world to kind of give you a better perspective and make you feel a little bit more um, uh, confident with your decision to eat enough and rest enough is the book Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. Um, she just goes into diet culture and how pretty much we've all been brainwashed to think that healthy equals thin and it, and it doesn't. Yeah. And she has a podcast with tons and tons of episodes. It's called food psych. Um, and her name is Christy Harrison. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes too. So it's easy to find. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being here and sharing your story and all of the work that you're doing in the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, 
one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth. And there is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com shop. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam herb blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.